Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology. Hey guys, just a quick word before we jump into this week's episode. I want to issue a quick correction on uh, some information that I talked about uh, about two episodes ago when we talked about some stuff happening in the South American division. I mistakenly said that the Carolina Conference banned Stephen Bohr from coming out. That is actually not true. Um, what actually happened was they asked the church not to invite Stephen Bohr, and the whole thing got twisted and turned into their banning him. But actually, Stephen Bohr still came and spoke at the church that he was invited to, um, but it was not looked upon favorably by from the conference side. So uh, misspoke there. I was quickly referencing it and use a port and had a poor choice of words. My bad. I am not about spreading misinformation. So my apologies. So I just wanted to correct that one piece of information. Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Absurdity. I am joined today not by Tony Anoboli. Thank goodness he's not here. Uh, I am instead joined by a familiar face on this podcast, a familiar voice on this podcast, Luke Steen. Uh, Luke, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I'm way better than Tony. Uh, it's, I mean, hands down. Uh, just you're also closer in, in that you're literally four feet away from me right this, now. This is very true. No, shout out to Tony. Tony, we like you. Uh, we like you, we just don't love you. That's yeah. The, yeah. We're not there yet. It's unfortunate. Um, so what's, what's crazy about this is, okay, A, because I've moved, since I've moved back to Ottawa or College Dale, Tennessee, um, I don't really have a place to record in-person interviews anymore. Uh, and I have no idea what this is going to sound like because we're sitting in my apartment with like my fridge that's abnormally loud. Even though I've told my apartment complex like, hey, my fridge is really loud. Other people who live in this complex have told me that this fridge is very loud. And their response to me was fridges are loud. And I'm like, but other people in your complex don't have loud fridges. So I'm kind of confused, but OK. Uh, so if there's echo this episode, hey, we apologize. It just is what it is. But this is cool because the first time you were on this show. 
you were at my last apartment in Rock Hill, and we talked about uh, nonviolence, uh, peace and nonviolence. Yep. Um, and I forget what episode that was, but I'll put it in the show notes for anyone who's curious. So all you need to do is look at the show notes. Um, but yeah, it was nonviolence, and um, and it was kind of radical nonviolence. Yeah. It was in the middle of your journey. You, yep. you kind of had this like what six month period where you were oh, just like. Yeah obsessed with nonviolent, which is a good thing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was, it was good. Yeah. Um, and I really liked that episode and, and the conversation we had. So I, yeah, no, yeah. it was really good. Yeah. We're probably gonna have to do another episode because since that episode, I mean, there's just been more growth and, and, uh, a better understanding, I guess, of, of Jesus's call to, to be a nonviolent advocate or nonviolent peacemaker is what we, what we called it. Um, yeah. Nonviolent peacemaking. That yeah. was what the episode was called. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was, uh, it was a fun journey. Uh, still, I mean, still trying to learn how to follow Jesus to the best of my ability. But I mean, it's been fun. If you were like me, you would have figured it out already. I mean, so, yeah, but not everyone's yeah. all as wise as you are. I'm sorry that you can't be me. It's okay. I understand. One day, um, I, like you, still get a you still have to get a paycheck to pastor a church. That's you know that That's speaks it. a lot for your integrity and character. This is very true. Whereas I do it out of the goodness of my heart. Hundred um, percent. Man, someone is going to listen to this and think I'm being 100% serious and I'm not. I mean, to be fair, Luke does get paid to pastor and I don't. That's yes, fair. I'm, I am a, I'm a lay pastor. I'm a full-time uh, pastor. There's nothing wrong with either of those things, just so we're no. clear. Um, really, really, I'm just supported by people to go out and make disciples. Yeah, that's what you... So, yeah. So. Um, and I'm supported by God. And that's really the difference. <laughs> uh, sorry, this is a clapbacks time. I apologize. Um, no, you know what's actually crazy, though, is uh, I've, I've really appreciated this about us. But since I stepped out of full-time pastoring, I think one of the concerns both of us has was had was the nature of our conversations would change because we connected a lot on church stuff. Uh, but actually what we found is really nothing has changed. And I've been really, really grateful for that over the last five months. Yeah, The only thing that's changed is... How often we talk? I can't call you at twelve fifty seven because in the I'm actually of the doing something. Because you're you got meetings and actually, if you call me at twelve fifty seven, I'll probably answer. I have I have uh, I have lunch hour. That's not the same. It's not the same. It really isn't. Uh, but it's okay. We we make it work. Yeah. Um. And sugar is with us again. I have no idea if she'll randomly growl or bark in the middle of this recording. That's okay. We appreciate her. We walked into my apartment. I I took off from work to record this. Walked into the apartment, and so she was like half asleep when we walked in. So she's just kind of figuring out what what her life is right now and what she wants to do. But, Luke, we brought you here. And by I brought you here, I mean you drove here uh, for a very specific um, reason. But the first thing I want to do is for people who haven't haven't listened to the Nonviolent Peacemaking episode, can you give us just a little bit about who you are, where you're pastoring, uh, that kind of thing? Yeah, so uh, my name is Luke Steen. I'm a pastor in Marietta, Georgia. Uh, I've got an amazing wife who teaches second grade down in Atlanta. She's the real pastor. I'm just kind of like the face. Um, she's just got such wisdom and just understands how to practically put things into motion. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, we, we're enjoying Atlanta. She's from California. I'm from Texas. So, I mean, I'm a Cowboys fan, you know, Weedham Boys, um, <laughs> America's team. Um, Texas, we're undefeated in war. So, Fair. you know, just all of these wonderful, so we're just, you know, we're, we're, uh, now in Georgia and we're getting acclimated. Uh, it's a struggle, but you know, we're getting used to it and we think we, you know, we think we might stay a, a while. Yeah. It, I, I, uh, I find it interesting that you're the face of, 
of this because your wife has the prettier face. Hundred like percent. Like she should hundred percent. Like oh yes. Like Luke, you married up. Oh, let's just be honest. Absolutely. You're, you totally married up. I yes. I somehow tricked her into signing signing a legal contract. <laughs> a legal binding. Agreement I didn't let her read it to uh, file taxes. I told jointly. her if you sign this, it means you will get coffee every Sunday morning when you wake up. Does she actually get coffee every Sunday? What about when you're out of town? I try to consistently get her coffee somehow. <laughs> But, you know, you no. cash out from your joint can't, bank account. I can't be perfect. <laughs> I can't, I, you know, I can't be perfect. I know. But, not everyone can be me. Oh, I understand. It's hard. Um, I'm waiting for someone to get tired of the the constant ego jokes I make about myself on the show, but no one's said anything yet. So, I, yeah, it's just, I'm going to, I'm going to roll with it. It's just humor, humorous Until, banter. Yeah. It's just, it's just me masquerading, you know, or masking a deep sense of insecurity and like lacking self worth. That are all it is. That or they only listen because they really enjoy Tony. That is not true. I can tell you, guarantee you, that's not true. You want to know why I know that's not true? Because he gets all the negative feedback. I'm not even, like, that's become a running joke on this show is that, like, people send their negative, I tell people, send your negative responses to Tony and positive stuff to me. But, like, people were doing that before I made that joke. And, like, that's a thing that happens. And I think it's because he's closer to a lot of the people that listen to the show. Like, I found out recently that a lot of people at Southern listen to this podcast, but none of them talk to me about it. They talk to each other about it. And I'm pretty sure students, like, when they see me, they don't realize that it's me that is the same person that's on the show. Hmm. Also, I walk, in with my Air- I walk around campus with my AirPods on, like, from oh. my office to my car. And your waves? And what? Your waves? <laughs> my AirPods. That wave- yeah, your yeah. waves and your AirPods. Yeah. You didn't see those memes? No, I didn't see the oh, waves. Oh, dude, you missed it. This is my life. Yeah. Um. You're old. Yeah, so okay. I don't I don't hear people any yeah, I am older than you, so that's yeah, fair. Uh I we're never gonna get into this. No, we're never I love never, it. Never gonna talk about it. But well, actually, on that note, let's talk about it. Cool. Just in defiance. No transition at all. I'm the no. king of no transitions. Except for the fact that we're transitioning right this now. This is the transition. This is the transition. Yes. You are in the transition right now. In the transition. Um so we're talking about practical discipleship today. And this has been just like when we talked about nonviolent peacemaking, and that was Luke's like big thing then. Um, now practical discipleship has become kind of his big thing now. Um, and just because it's his big thing now, I don't say that like he's in phases and he just completely forgets about the other stuff. It just tends to be the area of emphasis that he's in right now. And I think that is spawned partially because you've had to create a discipleship program for your church. Um, but yeah, I, I guess let's start there. What, what made this something that, uh, you kind of keyed into recently? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of like an overflow uh, or an outflow or some type of flow from nonviolent peacemaking. Uh, when I was studying how to how to live uh, my life in accordance with what you know Jesus asks me to do, especially with like the Sermon on the Mount where he says, "Love your enemies," um, it, it, made, it really made me question. Well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And uh, and then I was also asked um, by the local church that I serve at to come up with kind of a uh, curriculum. I'm going to use educational terms because my wife is an educator uh, to help somebody transition from meeting Jesus for the very first time to being able to contribute into a small group Bible study without being intimidated because they don't know the larger narrative mm. of of Scripture or they don't know the practices that that Jesus gives us to to enhance our daily lives, uh, such as Sabbath or prayer, you know, daily Bible reading, things like that. Um, so I, yeah, so I've just been kind of on that journey, uh, and God's been opening a ton of doors. Uh, I get to partner with uh, the summer camp, Cutta Springs, this summer. Uh, they have a disciple trek for high school kids that it's like three weeks long, and they, they just go over what it means to be a disciple and how to 
how to be a disciple, and uh, and so God's opened the door for me to be able to to partner with them and and help them help those youth transition from being at summer camp and then when they leave and then go into their local church, how to continue that discipleship process of growing in what it means to follow Jesus, mm. uh, in, especially in the here and now, because uh, sometimes we disconnect and we're just like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm a disciple because I, I go to church and I listen to Christian radio on my way to work, mm. and sometimes I financially back the church, and so I must be a disciple. Like, I'm probably doing pretty good, uh, when in fact Jesus's vision for a disciple is, is a little bit different. Um, it, I mean, it includes some of those things, but uh, you know, he, he he asks us to do some other things as well. I don't, I don't like a form of Christianity that asks me to do anything. Well, man, you it's your Bible so. translation occasionally, must be... <laughs> occasionally, I think about God. Like, he kind of crosses my mind. Like, like kind of like when I see like an old... Like, I think of an old acquaintance, and I'm like, I should contact them sometime, but then I never actually do. That's kind of... Or like the American thing where you're like, hey, we should hang out sometime, but then you never actually do. That's kind of... That's my devotional time with God, and I think that Solid. makes me... That's right. By the end of this uh, podcast, we'll have you baptized, and you'll be an elder <laughs> in a church, so it's okay. Well, we already got one of those. Actually, both of those things are uh, currently true. We did it! Submission, submission accomplished. Done. done. Um, yeah, no, I mean, like, in my in my study, I, I think I've just seen that uh, with all the turmoil that our church is going through, um, especially considering, like, the whole ordination issue and the compliance, you know, the documents and um, just like the state of church politics, uh, especially living in such a, a media age where everything is at our fingertips and you can just stay up to date and you can hear rumors upon rumors upon rumors of yeah. what's happening just via Twitter or whatever, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, just kidding. Nobody. I mean, I don't know how many people use LinkedIn. I don't. But, I, I check LinkedIn like once every six yeah. months. Um, but I, re- I really think that uh, we're, we're facing the backlash of poor discipleship. Um, and so, I mean, that's kind of how, how we're okay. So journeying. then with, with poor discipleship, I think, I know you've given examples of what kind of poor discipleship looks like, but can we define it? I think like, like why, how would, how do we define poor discipleship? How can we name it so we can identify it and, and, and see it? Yeah. So, um, so what I'm going to say, some, some theologians or some Bible scholars would try to contradict me. But they're the wrong ones. So, well, I mean, I, I, I just feel like they've, yeah, they probably have read the verses that they're going to think when I'm going to say this comment, um, probably negatively or, or through the wrong lens. But I think poor discipleship is when we make, uh, we make followers of ourselves. Um, so if, say, for instance, if I went to like a discipleship training school like Arise, which is a phenomenal discipleship training school, or say I went to AFCO, or I went through some... Uh, there's one called Core out in the Pennsylvania Conference, run by D. Casper, who's you know doing awesome stuff. Um, and I went there and I learned how to be a disciple. Uh, it's like I mean, those are intensive. Um, Afco is the Amazing Facts College of Evangelism. They're yeah. like intensive, like twelve week to nine month, or you know something like that. Uh, you stay in a dorm and you you pretty much get discipled. Um, yeah. If I went through that and then I came out being exactly like the teacher or the director or something like that, like in everything, in my talk, in my mannerisms, in my lifestyle, then that's poor discipleship because then we've just made a type of our own selves and then we're taking that specific type and trying to go and make disciples of that specific type. That's why we have so many different types of Adventists. Mm. 
is because our discipleship has lent itself more towards, hey, come and be like me, instead of focusing on, well, what is Jesus's call for discipleship? And that's to be with him, to be like him, to go and do what he does. Um, and so I think poor discipleship is when we create somebody that's very much like us. Now, see, I, I actually got recently, I got some heat uh, for a comparison or an example that I gave regarding, uh, I was using a poor term, which I realize now, um, but I would talk about um, colonialism without really using that term on the podcast, but I used it in other chats and things. Uh, but one of the examples that I give of Western society kind of pushing through evangelism, a specific kind of view or, or, or form of Christianity or even a form of Adventism uh, is uh, wearing suits in Africa or in like hot tropical climates that we, we went and we told people how to wi- how to dress and that this is how you do church period. Um, and I think this is, that's an example. And I think the way you're putting it is a good, is a good way to put it is, is uh, we do make people followers of ourselves. Absolutely. I'm a graduate of Arise. I, I, I was just looking at um, I was just looking at someone's Twitter bio the other day, or even uh, on Fulcrum 7, I saw it. Um, there was uh, AFCO graduate or Arise graduate or something like that, and we kind of identify ourselves that way. Um, we identify ourselves with the schools of thought that we came from, and we produce Christians that just look like us instead of producing Christians that are embracing whoever God has called them to be. Now, that whoever God has called that Christian to be could end up looking like you, absolutely, Right there could be someone, especially if they come from a similar background. If they came from a, a a life that had no real structure to it, then the structural the the structural focus of uh, conservatism or or traditionalism tends to be the the kind of you know the way they would gravitate toward. And if someone came from a house with too much structure or a life with too much structure, then they'd gravitate towards the one that gives them a little bit more situational freedom. And so that tends to be on the progressive side of things. And I, so it's okay for that to happen. The, the difference, I think, is that we're producing, we're not teaching people how to think for themselves. We're teaching people how to think like us. Yeah. And I think my biggest problem, someone actually pointed this out on Facebook, and I'm like, I'm with them 100%, uh, is our, the way we do our, uh, our Bible studies. Uh, the tra- like the, the actual things like through... Um, even Truthlink does this, and I love Truthlink. Yeah, but they're all question and answer that you just fill in. You just fill in a line, and so they don't. Te- they teach you the. They teach you what to say, but they don't teach you how to get there. And uh, so I find that really interesting. So I I agree with what you've defined as poor discipleship. Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to elaborate on it with a little yep. bit with my experience as yep. well. Um. So okay. So then, how do we define? And this is tradition here. We we always try to define what we're talking about. So how do then do we define uh, practical or, or or proper discipleship? Yeah, so, I mean, if, if you look at the biblical narrative, uh, I mean, Jesus invites uh, several, uh, you know, working-class individuals uh, to follow him. I mean, he just, he just invites these individuals, whether that's uh, Peter or Andrew or Philip or Nathaniel, and he just says, hey, come and follow me, and they begin following him. And, in fact, in John's narrative, in John chapter 1, uh, verse 35, you have John the Baptist, and he has some disciples, and he makes this proclamation here, because Jesus is coming down the road, this is the Lamb of God, uh, you know, who takes away the sins of the world, and John the Baptist's two disciples start to follow Jesus. Well, then the next day, it says that Jesus is going into Galilee, and he sees Philip, and he says, hey, come and follow me. And then Philip goes and gets to Nathaniel and says, hey, you know, 
like this is him. This is, and so then Nathaniel starts to fall, and then it's Jesus showing up to this wedding, and it uh, the narrative says, or in John's gospel, it says Jesus and his disciples. So now it's, I mean, they've been following Jesus for like a day, and they're considered a disciple, right? But I mean, we don't we don't necessarily see the context or the uh, the like cultural dynamic of of what was happening, right? But uh, essentially, within Jewish structure, you wanted to be a disciple of a rabbi. That's that's what you wanted yeah. more than anything. That was like being the professional athlete or being the the next uh, hip hop artist or or being the next Instagram influencer, uh, whatever. Right, the next big YouTube star. Like that was that was the the Jewish boy's dream was to become a rabbi. And so you want you went through the schooling, you went through the educational system that was in place to help you have a chance to become a rabbi. And if a rabbi invited you to follow them, you would essentially become their apprentice. And so I think we could define discipleship as being an apprentice to Jesus. That would be like the best modern-day word. Um, Because an apprentice is somebody who is with this individual who has all of this knowledge about how to do something, and you watch them do it, and then you try it out yourself, and then they, you know, they kind of show you some of the ropes. You're learning how to do what this specialist knows how to do. Yeah, and, and you're so, walking alongside of them in yeah, the process. You're, you're literally following them, like you're living with them. You're eating and, and and breathing the same air that they have. Yeah, right. You're you're uh, you're making your sleep cycle the same as theirs. You're using the same verbiage and and things like that, um, which is very interesting because we define bad discipleship as making a type of ourselves, whereas good discipleship would be making a type of Christ. Mm. Right. Okay, yeah. And so. Um, and so, like, I, I, I think the best biblical definition of discipleship is being an apprentice or a pupil of Jesus. Okay, that's fair. I, 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 um, now, it's harder because we can't... So, okay, so here's the disconnect then, right? Because to be a proper disciple, you have to be living with, eating with, sleeping in the same quarters as... I almost missaid that one. Um, but you have to be spending this majority of your time with this person... But the way we spend time with Jesus is fundamentally different. The way we interact with that, right? It's not, I'm not following a physical person. I'm not, and really, what it seems like, I think this is, I think this is the 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 uh, the way it's expressed now. Where instead of you go wherever Jesus leads you, Jesus just follows you wherever you're going. Uh, you take Jesus with you to work. You take Jesus with you to school. You take Jesus with you on dates. You take Jesus with you wherever you go. Uh, you're supposed to have Jesus with you because, you know, he follows you. I think that's the way that, that modern discipleship has really been kind of communicated yeah. if you're just a normal, you know, blue-collar, white-collar, working-class person, uh, then, yeah, you just, you're supposed to take Jesus with you wherever you go. Yeah. Um, so let's then talk, how do, we, how do we shift this into the I'm following Jesus wherever yeah. he calls me to go? Yeah. Uh, quick, quick note before we do that, um, that same concept— is the reason why you go to another country and that maybe Western missionaries came to and you have, let's make them more Western, is because Jesus is following us to go do what we feel like we, sh- we should be doing, um, which is why you have uh, this Western concept of uh, being a missionary, which in reality, you should have, I mean, if we feel called to go somewhere, you get there and you say, okay, God, you've been at work here for, 
years upon years before I was even born, you've been working here. How, how do you want me to partner? How, what do you, what is it that you want me to do instead of, Oh, okay, God, like we're here now, like, uh, bless this plan that I have. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, how how do you become a how do you be a good disciple of Jesus now when uh, obviously he's not here in the flesh? Yeah, um, I think he's kind of outlined it, um, which is living life in the spirit. He actually says like it's beneficial for him to go away. Well, what does that mean, right? And and this is where we get very fearful because all of a sudden it, it opens up this lane or this box or this space where there's something that you can't control. There's no action that you can do. You could you could wake up every day at 5 a.m. and read your Bible, read it through every year. You could go to church every Sabbath or Sunday. You could go to prayer meetings on Wednesdays. You could be involved in board meetings. You could, you could say your prayers three times a day, like in the Psalms. Uh, I mean, you could pay tithe faithfully, and God could never show up. Yeah. Which is one hundred percent true. God could never show up. So it's so it's how then do we practically live life in that promise where Jesus says it's more beneficial for me to go away because I'm going to send another, right, a helper, a guide, uh, and it's it's looking back at okay, well, what has Jesus said about living life in the Spirit? Um, and I mean, he's outlined several several key things. Uh, I mean, the these practices is what is what I call them. These like lifestyle practices. Um, I mean, they're super beneficial, like daily Bible reading, spending time in prayer, going to church on Sabbath, having a Sabbath, right? Taking, taking the seventh day off, not working, not requiring anyone to work for you and, and really just centering your, your life around this mm-hmm. day where you get to go out in nature or, or whatever. But sometimes you're going to have a Sabbath that you don't feel like you connected with God or, you know, something like yeah. that. Um, but it, but it's, I think practical discipleship really comes down to living life in the spirit which Jesus summarizes as abiding in him. Well, by how do we abide in him? Well, it's waking up in the morning and saying, okay, God, here I am. I'm going to follow you. Where, where, where are we going today? But there's no way to quantify that. There's no way to say like, oh, okay, like, yeah, like this is definitely like your how-to steps, right? Mm-hmm. So that I'm living life in the spirit it's just all of a sudden your 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 language is different your actions are different your heart is just you're you're not constantly getting angry anymore you're yeah, not. your perspective on your current reality changes yeah and 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 that's why i think we really minimized uh a baptism to a graduation instead of this new birth experience mm-hmm. um and because our system of discipleship hasn't been uh like, hey, let me help you live life in a relationship with God through the Spirit that He's promised us. But it's been, hey, let me proof text what the Bible teaches, and now you've mentally consented to agreeing with these teachings from the Bible, and so now you're a follower of Jesus. Yeah, and you may not have grown in your relationship with Jesus at all. You just know a lot more about Him. Well, yeah, and I mean, there. I mean, I bump into people all the time who, I mean, they know what the Bible says, but do they do they follow it? No, not not one yeah. bit. Well, why? Because they, yeah, they consented. With their mind, yes, the Bible teaches these things. I know that the seventh day is the Sabbath. I know that in however many different languages out there, it's tra- Saturday is translated as some form of Sabbath. Yeah, I know that. But like, I mean, they they get called into work and they go to work on Sabbath, you know, or or whatever, right? They're going home from 
from church and immediately turning on college football, you know, on, on, on Sabbath. And like, I knew these are outward actions, but the root of it is in this disconnect of their relationship with God. Yeah, I, I, now that I work at Southern, I, I think I see this a little bit. Uh, I can quantify what you're, what you're explaining a little bit differently as far as in regards to baptism as a graduation. Um, I actually see it as like a high school senior looking at college. They do all this research for college, and they know what Southern has to offer. They know what Andrews has to offer. They know what, what their community college has to offer. Well, let's say they pick Southern, right, because that's the school you, you should pick, obviously. Just kidding. If you want to go to, you go wherever God Southern is calling is you. Southern is the greatest no. school on the planet. <laughs> you go wherever God is calling you, and that's what I tell every student that I work with too. You go wherever God is calling you to be. But let's say you choose Southern. All right, baptism. The way we treat baptism now is like is it's it's as if you studied which university you want to go to, picked what major you want to study in, and then you show you enrolled in classes. You showed up on campus day one, and then you're expecting a diploma. Like, no, no, no. The journey just began with enrollment. Baptism yep. is like enrollment. Yeah. You studied which faith you want to belong to. You studied all the aspects of what that faith has to offer and, and what you think, where, where you seem to uh, resonate truth with, right? That's, I mean, ultimately, I, I think there's absolute truth, but everyone, obviously people ascribe themselves wherever they, you know, will, will join wherever they want to belong. Um, you've decided that this is the place for you. Christianity is the place for you. You've enrolled in classes. You've been baptized. That's that's the correlation there. You show up to campus, or you're done with baptism, and you, then suddenly you're expecting some diploma. And we even give you a baptism certificate. Yep. Um, but no, you didn't get a certificate your first day of class. You get it your last day of class. Um, the certificate is Jesus coming back and taking you home. Yes. Right? And so there's still four years or a whole lifetime of that's where the real work is. Yep. But we don't do a great job of communicating that at all. No. And and we all, we also just through our uh, baptismal process, like we celebrate baptism more than disciple making. Yeah. Where, I mean, we have these crusades where we take pictures and we put it up on news articles where like 20,000 people get baptized. And I remember seeing a tweet. Uh, I forget the the guy who, who tweeted it, but it was, it was pretty much like a jab almost at, at this article that said, you know, praise God, 20,000 baptisms. And his comment was praying for 20,000 disciples. Mm. Which to me just shows that that we have made a dis. Now some people might disagree with me on this, but I mean I've I've seen it firsthand that we've made this disconnect of baptism and disciple, whereas baptism really should be the beginning process. You you've surrendered your life to God, and I mean there's there's no way to tell when uh, when a kid experiences conversion. There's I mean there's no way to tell right if a kid has grown up in in a church setting. And I mean, they could have had their conversion at six, where they they understood they wanted to give their life to God. They could have a conversion at eighteen, where they want to they finally understand, right? But you you can't quantify it because it's the spirit, yeah, right. Jesus says, like, there's no way you can understand, right? And so we've we've tried to manufacture this process that is replicable, but what it's been doing is it's been creating types after a certain individual instead of creating somebody who is a lifelong follower of Jesus. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And I think, I think when, when you approach discipleship as I'm following God, and you wake up and you say, God, here I am, do what you will, right? Where, where are we going today? What is today going to look like? What you begin to look for is the abnormal in the normal. You're still going about your day, um, but you start to see or look for 
right? You, you may have been seeing them all along and never really looked at them or noticed them, but you, you look for the abnormal stuff that happens, the out-of-the-ordinary stuff, because, and you wonder, God, is that, am I supposed to walk in this direction? Um, I, I, I think of Philip and the Ethiopian. Now, this was a more obvious one, Philip being completely teleported into the middle of nowhere with this Ethiopian. Okay, that's a little bit more obvious, but doesn't matter. Philip is transported somewhere, and he looks around, and he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Then he sees the, the Ethiopian coming by with his little caravan of people, and he goes, oh, is that, is that the thing I'm supposed to be here for? Oh, okay, well, then let me go over there, right? He has to notice it. He has to, and then it says he runs. He runs alongside the caravan to catch up with them, right? And like he's like running next to the caravan going like, hey, do we need to, yeah. like, what are you doing? What do, are you studying? Do you need help understanding you, yeah. that, what like, you're he's reading? He's like running his head off, and... uh like that, that's, um, but the, the Philip had to do the work basically. Yeah. Once he was there, he was put in the situation where then he had to notice and see what the spirit was leading him to see and then take action on it too. Yep. And so there's that acknowledgement and that action portion. Um, but you're really looking for, I think the abnormal and the normal, whether it's a different, um, a different encounter or conversation at work, maybe it's a different, uh, maybe it's, maybe it's on the way to, or if you see something change, maybe it's at home. Maybe it's just you love your kids differently or you tell them that you love them for the first time ever. Maybe you haven't done that, right? This is, and I say that because that what that's what happened to me. Yeah. Um, I never heard my dad say the words, I love you. I knew he did, but I never heard those words and I never will now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one day, potentially, but um, it's just a reality. Like maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe it could be something simple. It could be something big, but you're looking for the abnormal opportunities, the out of the ordinary opportunities in the ordinary. Oh, hundred percent. And, um, I mean, there, there's so many stories that I have where, I mean, when I was studying like a biblical language in college and I'm, you know, the night right before a test and I procrastinated and I really need to pull an all nighter and study this. And all of a sudden, somebody's having a heart-to-heart with me that I know I'm not going to get out of, and I really need to be present. And so I had to make the decision of, okay, do I go through with this heart-to-heart where I feel like this is definitely where where God has led, and now it's the opportunity for me to be able to minister and just offering a word of encouragement to a, a, a stumbling brother or sister, uh, or do I cut it and go and study for this test that I need to pass this class so I can get a degree so I can go and be a pastor so I can go do God's work. Right. And I remember there were, I mean, several times and I don't obviously advocate doing this, you know, all the time, unless you just know for a fact that this is what God is wanting you to do. And we'll talk about how to know for a fact if it's yeah. what God wants you to do. But, um, but I remember saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust you on this. And I walk in and the test is postponed or, you know, the, uh, just something comes up and, I walk in and, and everything on the test is what I'm good at. Or, you know, like I, I just, I mean, I have so many stories of oh, I'm running late to a meeting or, oh, you know, I need to do this or, oh, you know, and, um, and all of a sudden it's like you get hit with, no, I need to be doing this. Like, oh, okay, God, this is what you're asking me to do. And then I go and do it. And then somehow he rearranges my schedule later on in that day. Um, but how can you know, right? Yeah. How do you know? And, and this is a problem that I have with, with, uh, the way that we've done evangelism, uh, because I mean, I, now I love the the truths of the Bible. I love the Adventist message. I'm a huge believer in the Adventist message. Uh, I mean, if I shocked, I, I wouldn't shocked. I wouldn't be an Adventist pastor if I didn't believe wholeheartedly and willing to stake my entire life 
on the Adventist message. Yeah. Um, I mean, you cut me and it will, I will bleed A's for Adventist <laughs> message. Um, but, uh, so, I, so I mean, I fully support, but the way that we've done evangelism is this process where, let me just prove to you what the Bible says. Let me just prove to you what the Bible says. Now, I think evangelism is the, the very beginning of discipleship. But if the entire process of evangelism is, let me just prove to you what the Bible says— let me just show you that the Bible predicts what's going to happen at the end of time. Let me show to you that the Bible predicts all these earthquakes and these famines and these wars and mm-hmm. wars and wars. Let me show you how the Bible predicted the coming of, of uh, Babylon and, and Medo-Persia and Greece and then you know eventually this beast that we identify as Rome. And let me show you how the Bible predicted the coming of the United States and Bible prophecy and, and how you can have certainty and how you can be saved and, and all these things. Um, let, me, let me just show you, right? Instead of hey, there is a God that loves you so much. Let me tell you about him. And let me sit down with you, and let's just open up the Bible, and let's start to look at, hey, God loves you so much that he has literally written us this super great almost text message or email or whatever, left us this voicemail or to proclaim to us how much he loves us to show, hey, look, this is the entire situation that we're in. Not that you're in, but that we're in. Yeah. Right? And then walk them through that, right? That's that's why I think Arise is probably the best discipleship-making program that our church has, because they go through the story. They go through the story of the Bible and how we fit into that story. Um, but if our church continues to do evangelism the, the way that we've we've done it, we're going to have these pockets of Adventism where there's, there's no process of, okay, well, well, now what? Now that I've been baptized, okay, I, just, I, I go to church. I pay my tithe. I Sabbath. I believe that when I die, it's sleep and not mm-hmm. I'm burning in hell for eternity. So I've got all these things. I know when the second coming is going to I know all the signs. I know, I know all this stuff. But we have some of the most hateful individuals. I mean, we have services where it's, you know, we, we close down church to celebrate, uh, you know, veterans. And, I mean, I'm all about veterans, but, like, I mean, at the same time, I'm not about the United States military service. I'm, I'm about God's kingdom, right? And we have, we have, we, we have people who, you know, they, they don't have any option in life, and so they go and enlist in war. Um, and then they come back, and then they've got PTSD, and they've got all these problems, and um, and and they're committed Christians, right? But but they're racist, they're sexist, they're too political. They're, I mean, there, there's no character change after our evangelism. Well, I, and and really, what it does is it amplifies uh, some of those political ideas or or values that someone has. Like what we've created. This has been kind of a recent soapbox of mine too that we're touching on. Is uh, we've created. Uh, fear-based disciples instead of uh, value and and Jesus-based disciples. And what I mean is uh, a lot of people became disciples because they either were afraid of going to hell or they're afraid of the end times, whatever, and they want to be secure in Jesus in the end times. And so what you have is generations of Christians and generations of Adventists who uh, do not know their own worth in Christ, which means they also don't know the worth of others in Christ. And I've been reading uh, the when, when Jesus is asked what is the greatest commandment, and he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm starting to read that prophetically, not 
uh, not as a commandment. I know it is a commandment. I know it's like it's eisegesis or whatever, but like I'm starting to read it as like a prediction where he's like, he's not saying, like he is saying you will, you should, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. But what he's actually saying as well is you will love your neighbor as yourself. However you value yourself is how you will value. And you can only love to the capacity that you love yourself. Um, and, and that's significant, I think. And I think uh, arrogant people, you know, they will treat... Uh, they they love themselves in that they see they are threatened by anything because they want to stay that arrogant. Um, so they don't love themselves properly. So they they don't love others properly, and they love people down to in order to keep themselves up. So you love to the capacity that you that you love yourself. And I and I find it interesting when you talk about Jesus has left this uh, this letter for us, right? Or God's written this this book for us. Um, there's this song this song symbols and signs by Beautiful Eulogy and Propaganda back in I think. 2012, I think, yeah. is when the album released, or 13, called Instruments of Mercy is the album. Uh, this song actually kind of saved my love for Christian music. That whole summer mm. that I discovered this album kind of saved my love for, for spiritual music in general. But at the very end of the song, Propaganda ends his... Um, uh, uh, he, he ends his verse by saying... Uh, let me see. He says, we're, we're looking for... It's boring when my life is more like the book of Ruth and Exodus. I've never seen the uh, pardon, parting of an ocean or cloud by day or pillar by night, just normal everyday working of life where things that suck royally is evidence of his royalty. And this is the part that is incredible to me. He says, scratch your temple so deep it's simple. Silly us, ignore the plain. We prefer a riddle. Dying to see a miracle while holding God's diary looking for signs. Um, like God's word is the miracle and he's already revealed so much to us and we ignore that looking for something else. Um, and, and that's what's frustrating. And when you look at Bible prophecy, even there's this moment where we realize that God is going to withdraw his spirit bit by bit as closer. So he's left us his word fully revealed so that we can know what we need to know. The problem is we're teaching people answers, Q&A, and we're not teaching them how to discover and learn and and and, and grow for themselves. Yeah, well, we're, yeah we're, I mean, we're not... Uh, you know, at least uh, a majority of us do not actively disciple somebody else into having a lifelong relationship with Jesus that is grounded on his words. Yeah. You know, we, we, we give our own interpretations of these difficult passages, or we, you know, we modify or, or we get hung up on these uh, behavior modifications instead of helping somebody understand how to live a life where they're continually learning based off of Jesus's own words. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't critique the way that we've done evangelism without offering a solution, right? Oh, and no, so, that's all, absur- all absurdity does is complain. Okay, well, I'm I'll, just kidding. No, I'll let yeah, Tony come your, on and offer a solution. <laughs> what's, your, what's your solution? Um, so the solution is that we get back to studying what does it mean to enter into the school of Christ? What does it mean to um, to actively grow daily? What are daily devotional practices or daily discipleship practices that help us on this journey of connecting with God and learning how to connect more and more with Him? Because if you think about it, it's not that, oh, God is going to reveal a tiny bit of uh, of Himself to us every single day. It's No, He wants to reveal all of Himself to us, but we're not ready for it. Yeah. So it's really how can I, uh, entering into the school of discipleship, learn how to be able to receive more and more of the truth about who God is, because I'm just quite frankly not ready for all of that love yet mm-hmm. as I go through life, right? So what, what does that process look like? Well, it's it really is broken down quite simply, because it's 
living life in the Spirit through the daily practices that Jesus shows us Mm. he did to connect with God while he was here. So that is knowing the Word. I mean, Jesus quoted the Bible more than anyone else. I mean, he was considered a rabbi. He was considered an expert in the Word. And we, we say, okay, yeah, I'll know some Bible verses, right? I might have some memorized, but it's it's unideal. It's 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 not realistic for me to know all of it. No, challenge yourself. Like our brain is amazing. Challenge yourself. Memorize passages of the Bible. Just random ones. Ones that you think, oh, you know, I can't. Take a three by five card, write a Bible verse on it, stick it in your back pocket, and quiz yourself throughout your day. Your brain is amazing, right? Scripture memorization is one of the greatest ways. And then what happens, you'll find yourself at a low, and all of a sudden the spirit speaks this promise that you've memorized into your into your you know, your mind, yeah. and all of a sudden you're able to get up. You're empowered. You're like, wait a second. Okay, God, I know you're here, right? One of the promises that God has continually spoken to me over the years is take up your pallet and walk, just continually. Take, I mean, I'll, you know, I'll be at a low. You know, I experience lows as a pastor. We experience lows. You know this. Yes. Right? And and out of nowhere, I've, I feel like, wait, I'm at my lowest point, and out of nowhere, the Spirit just speaks, take up your pallet and walk. And I know exactly what that means because that is one of my favorite in John chapter five, one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. This man, you know, lame for 38 years. Jesus, do you want to get well? What do you mean, Jesus? (laughs) Um, But so, I mean, Jesus knew what the Bible said. He wasn't carrying his Bible with him all the time, but he, I mean, he had memorized it, right? So scripture memorization, so that the spirit can speak his words into your mind in those, in those periods of time, right? Jesus often spent time in prayer. He had a, he had a morning routine, Right where I mean the disciples wake up and wait where's Jesus at and then they see him coming back and oh well he was he went and spent early morning time or or, or late night time in prayer find out what what is your I mean if you're a night owl spend you know the ending ending time of your day in in prayer or you know reading your Bible or or, or whatever if you're a morning person you know vice versa um, and then what else did Jesus do right he was constantly serving mm-hmm. and so. I mean, those are just those are just three things. I mean, there's I mean, Jesus has outlined a ton. I don't want to list all of them because I want people to go and study them. Yeah. But like, I mean, it it's doing those in the spirit. Well, how do you do them in the spirit? It's doing those with a sincere heart, saying, "God, here I am. I want more. I want more. I want more." And then just trusting that God's going to do it. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I, I want to add. Uh, something to the prayer portion as well, because I was actually recently in a conversation with uh, with a high schooler, um, with a high schooler about this, and uh, he was like, "I don't see the point of prayer. God knows what I'm going to say. He, he knows everything. Like it's whatever." And I and I was like, "You need to rethink what the purpose of prayer is. The purpose of prayer is not that God needs to know what's on your heart. The purpose of prayer is that it recenters you around God's heart. Um, it's like if you are in a busy day with your wife." And you're in the middle of this rush, and you just go, "Hey, wait, honey, can we just like breathe for a second? That's what prayer does. It recenters you, it calms you down, and it refocuses your energies on uh, the direction that you need to go, and it um, and it and it helps you get to know God more. And I think the other the other side of this is God also transforms us as we're disciples, and so he um, in transforming us, he gives us the tools to make decisions that are in line with his character. But the only way we can make those decisions is if we know what his character is. Yep. And so we neglect scriptural things, and then we assume that God blesses us when rea- in actions that in reality are not in line at all with who God is or his character. Yep. Um, because we haven't been reading, we don't know. And so we assume, we wrongly ascri- uh, you know, we wrongly attribute 
uh, things that happened in our lives to God when in reality he had no he may have had no hand in them. Yeah, uh, that's not the plan that he had for you. Well, and I mean, and a story to just show the effectiveness of of what I've just been saying. So I, I have a 19 year old freshman in, in my church. Uh, when I got to this church in Marietta, Georgia, um, this freshman uh, she was a senior in high school, and I would say her spiritual life was. She would tell you that her spiritual life was non-existent. She was she was actually contemplating never going to church once she got to college. And I get there, and I I mean. I'd come up with an, kind of an action plan that I had created in college of what would I do to create a discipleship process in a local church. And so I got there, and I, and I just kind of started. And the whole first year, this is literally on my document, it says, whole first year, build relationships. And that's it. That's, that's my action plan. <laughs> whole first year, build relationships. Love it. Year two, I mean, I have some steps, and I, and I have a process. And, um, and so I, I focused on building relationships. And uh, just the other day, she came up to me, and she said that she wants to start tithing. She's already started discipling two of her other friends, um, and it's all because she saw this joy and this love and this just vision of a relationship with God and said, I want that. Yeah. And we think evangelism is proof texting somebody into the church. Now, I'm all for showing them the truth of the Bible. I'm about as conservative theologically as they come, because I believe 100—I told you, you cut me, I bleed A's for that Adventist message. <laughs> but the way that I've packaged it, I won't say is the best way. I'm learning every single day how to do it better, and, and I'm sinful and I'm imperfect. However, with this individual who's already starting to make disciples, not of herself, but of Jesus— she, I mean, she she doesn't know a ton about the Bible. She doesn't, but she's starting them off with her in her journey from day one, and it's all because she's realized that. Wait a second, it's not about just believing what the Bible says. It's about having a relationship and a connection with the yeah. God of the Bible. Yeah. So I mean, to That's me, huge. to me, if we if we were to change the way we did discipleship and we had an an, in, an intentional process to create disciples in our churches. We want to have so many issues that we're having in our church. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. I agree. So, um, Luke, thank you so much, man, for coming on. This is great. I think if I think the way that I would sum up this conversation is that uh, following Christ as an idea is simple, but the practice of it is is um, uh, becomes complex as you are trying to like following following it even in principle. Like even the steps to do it are simple, but when you start to dig deep and and apply them to your life, you find out there's layers and layers of complexity to them. So. Um, man, I've really enjoyed this conversation, Luke. I enjoy your friendship, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Yep. Um, I appreciate it. And uh, to our listeners, hey, we still have some time left to so stick around because uh, Tony and I are going to talk about and debrief this conversation over the next uh, 20 minutes or so. So uh, don't don't shut this off. We're not doing the normal outro yet. Um, but Luke, thank you so much, man, for coming on. Anything you want to leave our listeners with uh, before we take off? Uh, just, uh, you know, uh, look at Paul's commitment in the Bible to follow Jesus where he said to live as Christ and to die as gain. And just try to figure out, if you spend your whole life trying to figure out one statement, try to figure that one out. Mm. And you'll just be amazed. Wow. So, yeah. That's Love it. it. Appreciate it. All right, it. Luke. Take care. Thanks. All right, so we are back, and Tony is now with us. I know at the beginning of the episode, we said, thank God Tony isn't here, but Tony is here now. Yeah. That's, um, that's uh-huh, I, yeah. You're never getting rid of me now. You realize this. Like, you are, you <laughs> hey, are aware actually, of the fact <laughs> that I'm here to stay. That's Okay. 
So I want to try this out, A, because we were forced to because of time, because Luke had to leave early. But B, I wanted to do this because I want to test out this format of like a shorter interview. And then we talk about a little bit more in depth of of what it you know, of what of what was talked about. So, Tony, I know you you skimmed through the the interview. What were some of the thoughts, I guess, that you had on your mind when you when you heard it? You know, it's funny because Luke, I, I almost feel like I was in the room. Uh, just because I agreed so much with Luke. I loved uh, that concept of practical ministry, looking for, um, what was the phrase that you guys, looking for the uh, abnormal, abnormal and normal, normal, that kind of stuff. Like I had stories in my own head that I was going through that I'm like, uh-huh, 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 yeah. No, and it and yeah. I related so well to it. Um, and Luke's a great guy, you know. He he records really well. Um which is, it's surprising to me how some people don't do that. I won't get in that tangent, but I'm like, some people, like I was listening to recordings to some people, I'm like, wow, they are not alive here. Um, yeah, but I, 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 <laughs> I, really, I really resonate with that idea. You know, to me, I always love listening to the end, the very end, um, because usually people tend to save like the best analogies there. And I just love that story he told about, you know, um, this this late this young lady that was wanting to completely you know give her life over because of the example that she saw and i just thought like that's the point you know what i mean i'm like that's exactly what we're trying to do in the church and that's what we should all be striving towards um as pastors in our own walks um as church members, that's what we should want for our other church members. I just thought it was really neat to see, and I wish that we as a church were able to really um, hone in on what that's that's what we need to do. Like, yes, get the message out, but it that's not enough. Like, it's you have to balance that with that side. Uh, to me, that's that's just as exciting. And and we've talked about this multiple times. You know, where I'm like, shouldn't we be? I think we talked about this the other the other episode, right? Like really recently. Like, shouldn't we more be more excited that um the testimonies, yeah. It just came out. Uh, yes. shouldn't we be more excited about um making you know, someone who was lost is now found rather than, oh, well, this Methodist became an Adventist. And so yeah, like I, I just thought it was really neat to see how he really expressed that idea that there's something beyond and of course, the connection to um, uh, the peaceful. Uh, uh, um, wow, it's early, it's not that early, and my brain is just done. I had to get up at seven this morning, though. Uh, the his first episode was the peaceful um, nonviolent, nonviolent peacemakers. peacemakers, and I love the connections that he made with that. Like that, being a disciple is not necessarily an extension of that, but it's it's um, it's a continuation. And I was like, that's yeah. such a good point uh, because that's a, we should be that way. Now, granted, I mean, ah, uh, yeah, but but I, I loved that concept. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was really good. Like I said, if it, I wasn't in the room, but it was like, well, I wouldn't have really added <laughs> anything to the conversation because it would just be me going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Tony, yeah, what do you think? Uh -huh. that's... I, Luke said it. That's what I think. That's what I was yeah, going through I, my I'm just head. repeating... <laughs> I think there's I, I think there's a lot of value to the conversation that Luke and I had, but I think 
I wish we had had a little bit more time to dive into uh, some of the the more structured parts of of what it means to be a practical disciple. Yeah. Like I think I think discipleship is fluid. Don't get me wrong. I think it is a very kind of amorphous thing that that kind of um, conforms to whatever it's your very life general. is. It's very right? broad. Like, so. Yeah, like discipleship looks different for yeah. each person. That's yeah. what I mean. I don't mean Jesus conforms to whoever you no, 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 are. But I just mean that following yeah, him looks different. Right. It's contextualized, right. right? But there's something to be said about adding structure and, um, and and taking dedicated time for prayer or for Bible study or for things like that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've really struggled with since I stopped um, having to preach uh, is time in the Word. And what I've noticed is this kind of stunt of my growth in knowledge and understanding and discovery. Like my lack of reading the Bible on a regular basis has um, has has kind of made me lose that that sense of discovery and awe that I had with God because I stopped learning, right? I stopped searching and on a regular basis and making it a part of my life. And I actually remember there was a time where I was recently talking with a high school student. And he told me, he's like, man, I just don't see the point of prayer. Uh, if God already knows everything and we're already praying for his will anyway, then why why am I going to pray? Like, that doesn't, God doesn't need my prayer. And I, I looked at him and then after a minute, I was like, yeah, I agree with you. Um, God doesn't need your prayer. Ah, and I actually ah, see, um, yeah. like, that's, no, it's like true. God doesn't need your prayer. God doesn't need it's my just prayer. So, it's um, so countercultural to, God doesn't need your prayer. I know. What? Wait, what? How? And this is this is actually where, where it led yeah. me. I said, you need your prayer. Yeah, this is true. You yeah. need it. Because what your prayer does is it recenters you around God's will. That's what it does. It recenters you around God. It's like taking, it's like before you take a big jump into cold water or something, right? And you take a big deep breath to kind of focus in on what you're about to do. Or you are... Um, you know, you're really stressed out with friends or a significant other, and you say, hey, hey, let's take a second. Let's just relax. Let's chill and rethink this, right? It's taking a step back and recentering your life, your heart around God and his will. And this is why it annoys me that we pray these like faithless prayers. We pray these prayers like uh, if someone is suffering, if someone's hurting, we pray, um, God, uh, you know, just be with them, draw close to them and comfort them. And I'm like, why are you praying that? And now, now I'm not trying to judge the person that's praying. I get the intent, and I think God hears and answers the intent behind the prayer. But that is like asking your plumber to fix your toilet while he's fixing your toilet. Like, if the Holy Spirit's known as the great comforter, of course, and God is omnipresent, of course God is already with them, has drawn close to them, and is already comforting them. Like, he's already doing those things. And so what if our prayer changed for like, but we've, 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 we've transformed our prayers to praying faithless prayers or prayers that don't require any faith so that we don't have to deal with the possible no, the potential no to the prayer that we can't explain. Um, oh, God didn't heal this person. Uh, what does that mean for my faith? You know, God didn't do this. What does this mean for my faith? Instead, we'd rather pray prayers that we can easily say, yeah, God did this. Um, and, and so I think revisiting our prayer life and and um, spending more time in that prayer, spending more intentional time in that prayer, and challenging challenging ourselves in our relationship the same way you challenge yourself in any friendship or relationship. If you're if if things have gotten in a rut, you change things up. Just this past summer, uh, Steve, who recently did a uh, Patreon interview for us, it's going to be on Patreon this month. Um, he uh, he he flew out to Chattanooga. And uh, this past summer, I drove over to Chattanooga from Charlotte, six hours, picked him up, 
came back. We went to a Liverpool Borussia Dortmund match in Charlotte. And then the next morning, woke up at 3 a.m. and drove out from Charlotte to Nashville and spent two days recording season two of the lead podcast and then drove back. Um, and that whole thing was just an adventure. It was something different. It was a challenge. And it and it and it in and it gave us more memories and more excitement and more uh, more adventure to our our friendship. Right. Right. Like that's what that's what I think our relationship with God should be is this thing that we're we're constantly revisiting. We're adding structure to it because structure is actually where you find the most freedom. I think in many, many cases, not always, I, not I, always. I'm with you. I think intentionality um, to a degree requires structure. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. can be intentionally not structured, um, but even that requires structure. Like you yeah. have to, you know what I mean? Like it's kind of a, it's kind of an oxy or not an oxymoron, but a bit of a paradox. Um, the fact that you're stopped and taking time to do anything means that you've stopped and taken time to think about it. Even if you're saying, I'm going to deliberately not think you, you've stopped and thought about that. Um, and so, yeah, I think to a degree, every, everything, any, anytime you're intentional, you have to have that. And I think being a disciple requires intentionality for sure. Um, which is not a bad thing at all. Intentionality is never a bad thing. I, 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 I'm struggling in my head to come up with a scenario where, you know, you taking time out to, to deliberately, I mean, I, I don't, I don't see anything bad about that other than maybe you take that too far and you start and it oh, becomes yeah, yeah, like yeah, a yeah. road routine. Um, where it's like, I will now be disciple checkbox, you know, um, yeah. And the and the and the kind of legalism that that would infer or or lead to, but I I you know, intentionality I don't see that as ever being a bad thing. And, and I think to a degree, but it's hard see to me that's where you can like a podcast format unless that podcast is only on practical discipleship, which hey, maybe we do an episode arc on that. Um can't really get into those specifics. Like this isn't the format to do that. You know, it's more, that's more a seminar or a long, you know, small group or something like that. Because it, it is like you yeah, said, you journey with yeah, it together. Like it, it, it's one of those things. And you were bringing that up, you know, where you were talking about, uh, uh, you know, Philip and they, they ran, he ran next to, um, the, the caravan. caravan. It's yeah. like, you're meant to, to go on that journey together. Even if it's for a, just a short time, um, you're meant to journey together. And that's part of discipleship. And, and yeah, so I think that um, it's hard to go through that structure, but I think you need to find, I think that's the thing. Somebody once asked me, like, what's the best way to connect to God? And, and my response is always back to them, like, whatever way that you do it, like, whatever, whatever gets you to connect to God, that's the best way. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And yeah. I'm like, whatever. I mean, if it's standing on your head watching Harry Potter and that's how somehow, you know, you connect to God and you're like, you know, I'm just, I'm just clicking in. I want to read the Bible more. I want to go out and serve. I want to go and, and do all these things. If that's what it does, then yay, that's, that's what you need to do. Um, and I think that there are certain specific things that he does, you know, like the, with the spiritual gifts and different stuff. But, you know, for some people, I, I can read a book, a completely secular book. And out of that, I get sermon ideas, so many sermon ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I read one one time about uh, it's called Stonehenge, and it's kind of like the ancient how the ancient Stonehenge people would have lived because they found a man uh, near Stonehenge, and he had this like gold necklace, and so it's kind of um, a take on what might have happened with all of that. And it just goes through all these ancient religions and how they viewed God back then, and how you know that society was all dominated. And one of my best sermons that I've ever preached came out of that because I go, this is why Jesus needed to come. Like, do you understand? Like, yes, it was, it was also to save us, but that's why he needed to come when he came because we had gotten so far away from God that people were willing to throw their kids into fire because, well, I can make another kid. God wants like whatever gets the rain and not lightning storm. You know what I mean? And it's like people had such a distorted view of God that we don't we don't understand in our culturally uh, uh, embedded understanding of Christianity, like we think of God as having to be this kind, loving God, like that's just inert. So people go, well, how could God like destroy a bunch of people? Well, for ancient cultures, yeah, like that. God was more loving because all the other gods were like destroying and they didn't have an out. They didn't have a plan. Like they were doing that all the time. And so it just, you get these things that you don't normally, uh, some people go out in nature, you know, and that's how they connect and that's how they continue to do it. And they have to take time away and just go, uh, for other people, it's serving, you know, they have to just serve and be active and go, which is fine. I would I would caution people who take that route just because you can get too busy doing um and not enough time being with God and actually getting to know him but I think for some people it that's the that's the spark plug you know that jump starts you uh, so yeah whatever way causes you to connect in I think everyone should read the Bible but whatever gets you Whatever motivates you to do that, do that first, I would say. Don't try to start. If reading the Bible is not your thing, if study isn't your thing, don't try to start with that. Like, start with something that's going to get you. You know, for some people, that's music or whatever. Um, And just spend time with God. Uh, We were were talking about the love languages in our Vespers group. And... You know, one of the one of the big things we talked about is is how each love language relates to God, and and quality time is a huge one. Um, God wants God wants to spend quality time with us, and we miss out if we don't do that. So, yeah, I thought it was really good um, what you guys went through, but but it's it's maybe we need to do that. Maybe we need to do like a three episode arc where we just really explore the practice of spirituality and and how to connect like that. Have you ever heard that that improv game? That sounds like a song. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a that sounds like a Patreon arc. Um, no, I, uh, I I agree with you, and I do think that like when whatever you're doing to connect with God, like the Bible serves as your compass, right? It serves as the thing that tells you if you're on the right track, and you know the Bible is the source of our information about God's character. It's the source of how we know who yeah. He is and and what He looks like, yeah. right? Um, what is God like? Uh, we we explain that through Bible texts, and there is, and we also explain it through our own experience. But they have to line yeah. up, right? Or else you're talking about a different God, right? If I describe if I describe Harry Potter as the kid as the kid who found the one ring, 
and journeyed with a fellowship oh, to Mordor to destroy the ring. On the like, on the USS Enterprise, yeah, Harry, no, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm not describing Harry Potter yeah, anymore. The, yeah, so you know, and then Yoda comes out of nowhere in the middle of the, the journey and tells them to go that, to Terabithia. That, it's like, yeah. That hurt your soul it's to so say. So much. It more, than, it more than anyone realized. I just realizes. created a Horcrux uh, into this microphone. Yeah, you did. That was rough. split my no. soul. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Oh, man. It's all for uh, the cause. Um, no, but... Yeah. No, you... So, it, I think there's a kind of... A, it, you're describing the wrong person. It's like, that. yeah, but that's not the God that we're talking about. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think this is kind of a good place... To end, I think we've got some good practical stuff on our end as well as in Luke's end. And hey, um, to our listeners, if you like this format, if you think that uh, if you want to see like shorter, more focused interviews or conversations with guests, and then you know Tony and I do some lead in or some some outro to it, let, um, let me know. Um, I mean, this form like just a traditional long format conversation with someone is easier for me to edit, but I don't really care about that. So if you uh, if, if this is something that you're interested in hearing more of or seeing more of kind of uh, our perspectives on the conversations that have just taken place that I'm happy to do that. Just let us know, email us in all secrets. of our contact info. Yeah. All the, all the contact info is in the show notes, but thank you guys so much for listening. If you listen on iTunes, please leave a review. Don't just rate. I mean, you can just rate us. It's fine. Nothing's stopping you. But uh, if you do rate us, please leave a review that really helps us out. Um, and if you want to support us financially, patreon.com slash absurdity podcast and if you want to find us on social media then facebook.com slash absurdity podcast super easy right both of those things are the same thing but thank you guys so much for listening for being a part of this and we'll see you next week today's episode of absurdity is sponsored by the haystack the haystack is a voice for young adults in the seventh day adventist church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.